Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Well, our president, the Donald, Donald Trump, the tweeter-in-chief, proudly proclaimed about his having launched strikes, having ordered the launch of strikes against Bashar Assad's regime in Syria. And the rationale for these strikes was that the Assad regime was allegedly committing chemical warfare against the so-called rebels, the rebel forces, the Islamist rebel forces. Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham, Republican senators, who have been less than especially supportive of the president, were very quick to nod their approval for this action that was taken. Russian Federation President Vladimir Putin's second-in-command, his prime minister, the one whom he played musical chairs with in order to retain the presidency, Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev, stated today that the U.S. cruise missile strikes on a Syrian airbase, the Shirat airbase, were one step away from initiating conflict, military conflict, with the Russian Federation. His exact words were, quote, one step away from military clashes with Russia, end quote. Now, you might think, well, this is just saber-rattling or something like that. Perhaps, perhaps there's a great deal of posturing and saber-rattling going on. In the world, certainly North Korea has done a tremendous amount of that. But while they have been doing that, as Iran has for ages, both of those nations have also been engaging in developing, acquiring, building up nuclear weapons capabilities along with strategic missiles with which to launch them, to employ them against their enemies. North Korea has, of course, been making extraordinarily provocative statements regarding its desire to strike the United States of America, to engage in 
nuclear strikes against the United States of America, as well as nearer targets of South Korea, democratic South Korea, and Japan, and U.S. troops, U.S. troop facilities, U.S. troops stationed in Korea, and in that entire area, such as Guam, Okinawa, Japan, so forth. Oh, it's just, you know, (laughs) it's just saber-rattling. It's just a ploy to be able to cause the United States of America to give North Korea what North Korea wants. Well... North Korea, that is the communist regime of North Korea, has wanted much more than food for its people. For lo, this past term of decades, going back to the Korean War, which officially began so shortly after the end of World War II, The North Korean's communist regime has engaged in using starvation, mass starvation, concentration camps, forced labor camps against its most hated enemies. And those enemies, the most hated are the Christians. You're not going to hear about it on ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNBC, MSNBC, and so forth. You barely hear about it on any of the other networks. But this has been going on for the entire history of North Korea this monstrous persecution of Christians. But it doesn't end with North Korea. North Korea, which, again, the United States of America has chosen to engage in this fantasy that North Korea is just a rogue regime, a loose cannon out there, this independent regime, When in fact, in point of fact, it is a satellite communist state of communist China's. Of the so-called People's Republic of China or Democratic People's Republic of Korea in the case of North Korea. It's a satellite slave state of communist China, but it is also intimately linked with the Russian Federation, formerly with the Soviet Union. As is the communist regime of mainland China. Mainland China has been engaging in all manner of terrible, brutal, murderous, persecution of Christians, going back to the so-called 
cultural revolution, the good old days, back in the 60s and so forth. And from now on, with each program, I will spend a few minutes talking about documenting egregious acts of brutal, prolonged, protracted persecution of the Christian church, of the Christians in communist China. But before I make further statements regarding that today, before I give information about that today, let me just go back to this about the airstrikes on Syria. It was stated that the United States gave Russia a heads up, gave them forewarning of the strikes, and that they would not involve any strikes against Russian personnel. Interestingly enough, this particular airbase, the Shirat airbase in Syria, seemingly has been housing Russian special forces and Russian military helicopter crews. So it would seem as if these strikes, in fact, targeted inadvertently, perhaps, unintentionally, perhaps, targeted very important Russian forces. Meanwhile, again, the rationale for this is that Assad's regime has purportedly been engaging in chemical warfare against the rebels, the so-called rebels. Well, this has been contested. Time and again, as far as the validity of this, the veracity of these charges. And interestingly enough, prior to these strikes, Russia's defense ministry stated that the poisonous gas contamination that occurred in Khan Shikhaun in Syria, was actually not a result of attacks by Assad's regime, but in the sense of chemical warfare being used by Assad's regime, but rather was the result of conventional weapons being employed by Assad's regime, which struck chemical warfare stockpiles of the rebels that the rebels had and that the rebels employed in Aleppo. These rebels, these moderate rebels. If we go back to when the predecessor of the Donald was in the White House, Osama bin Laden's linked forever now to Barack Hussein Obama. Well, just for this lifetime. (laughs) Just for Barack's time here. Not forever, not eternally. 
perchance, but... You may recall back when John Kerry and the Obama regime were focused on making strikes at Syria, at Bashar Assad's regime. Bashar Assad, evil, evil guy, okay? Strongman dictator who has ruled by fear, intimidation, force, terror, very much like Saddam Hussein, and their common enemy, their greatest enemy, the one that they have had an absolute bloodlust to destroy has been none other than Israel. And when I say Israel, I mean Jewish Israel. And that might sound redundant, but Israel, contrary to what you hear in the major media, Israel is home currently and has been ongoingly to a great many Arabs, Muslims, so forth. A great many. Now, not all Arabs are Muslims, but it is home to a great many. Sure, there were the multitudes that fled Israel each time that Israel failed to be destroyed, each time that the Jewish state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, failed to be overthrown, destroyed, slaughtered down to the ground, pushed into the sea. Every time that they failed to be annihilated, the Muslims took off out of Israel. And then, courtesy of the UN and the enlightened Western nations, then they demand that the Jewish state of Israel give Israel back to them. <laughs> it's been a remarkable seesaw, roller coaster, crazy thing that's been going on since the onset of the modern state of Israel, 1948. The day after the declaration by the UN of the modern state of Israel, the creation of the modern state of Israel, millions and millions and millions of Muslims launched coordinated attacks against Israel to annihilate it. And Israel, the Israeli state, was basically defenseless courtesy of dear old United Kingdom, who, when they withdrew all of their troops, also withdrew all weaponry and left them to be annihilated, to be massacred. Dear old UK, it's just, uh, they've been such a, a wonderful, wonderful friend of peace and what have you. But back to Syria. The Russians claimed that these missiles from Assad's regime actually struck large terrorist depots of ammunition which included chemical warfare 
that was being used by these moderate rebels, which they had employed to commit terrorist acts against the citizenry in Syria, in Aleppo, and against Syrian troops. And it was stated that the poisoning symptoms of the victims in Khan Shikhaun that were shown on videos and via social networks and so forth were the very same poisoning symptoms as were shown in the autumn in Aleppo. Which again, of course, we in the West attribute to, oh, that was Assad's regime. Well, was it? Back when John Kerry and Barack Hussein Obama, Team Obama, were pushing to launch strikes into Syria and were getting support from the likes of dear old John McCain, I was (laughs) repeatedly insisting that that would be a very bad thing. Why? Why would that be a very bad thing given how bad... Bashar Assad is simply this. We were at that time, this nation's federal regime government of the United States of America was very, very close to sending significant munitions supplies to the rebels, even though we didn't know who the rebels were. The rebels were a heterogeneous mix of various different groups. And the big sales pitch at that time as far as for why we needed to do this, why we needed to send these indiscriminately large amounts of sophisticated weaponry to Syria to be handed over to the rebels was because if we didn't do that, if we didn't strengthen the rebel forces, then, then Al-Qaeda might swoop in and fill the vacuum. Then ISIS might swoop in and fill the vacuum. Guess what? The rebels, those benevolent, beneficent, patriotic rebel forces, just happened to include all manner of absolutely murderous Islamists. And we would have been arming them. And we did, even so. Even though supposedly the Obama regime chose not to, finally at the the last hour, the 12th hour, decided not to do that, they still sent significant amounts, just not anywhere near to the extent that they were going to. But in addition to that, they were going to launch cruise missile strikes against Assad's regime to attack, to weaken Assad's regime so that the rebel forces would be able to take over. Again, us doing what we have done now for how long is that we're going to destabilize an area 
so that Islamists, other Islamists, can take over, take over, overthrow the strongman regime and take over in its place and bring in something much, much, much worse. So much so that the Islamists, ISIS, ISIL, Levant, Al-Qaeda, and so forth, were going to establish a caliphate there in Syria, make Syria, the entirety of Syria, its home base for exporting terror worldwide. And the same with regard to Iraq. Now, they have only succeeded, of course, in making portions their headquarters. Portions which, I might add, the United States federal government has refused to attack. For the longest time, we could not consider attacking because these monstrous evil terrorists also had their families, brought their families in, and used them as shields. Terrorist families, not not hostages, but those who have been the supporters of, the enablers of the terrorists. So we could not attack the terrorists on their own turf. We could not. Or could we? We refused to under Barack Hussein Obama. We refused to attack ISIS on its home turf and wipe them out and instead allowed them to go on waging a terrorist war against Christendom, against Jewry, against Western civilization. But Barack Hussein Obama, good guy that he is, whether he is altogether Islamist, remains to be seen. Of course, he claims, when it's convenient for him, claims to be Christian, but of course his idea of Christianity happens to be the liberation theology communist version of Christianity, where the Christian church is just used as a front to destroy, to overthrow democracy, uh, a la his role model, Pastor Wright, who became an inconvenience the last time President Obama was up for election in the form of re-election. Mm-hmm. Became a liability. Right became a liability, so right became wrong, and right was disavowed, but right was completely representative of Barack Hussein Obama's views. But Barack Hussein Obama is anti-Western, anti-Christian, anti-Jewry, anti-humane, and of course, anti—when I say Western, I mean anti-British Empire, anti-European independent nations. But he still has his preferences within the Islamists— You know, he has his favored Islamists. 
and then those that are less well-favored. It actually reminds me of Yasser Arafat. Yasser Arafat, bloodthirsty, monstrous, demonic, satanic enemy of Christians and Jews, but he also waged a war of terror against Muslims, Muslims who did not support him, Muslims who did not endorse him, Muslims who did not join in with him. He waged monstrous terrorist war against them, not only to punish them, and I'm talking about not just the men, but the women, the young people, the children, the babies. It was all fair game. Not by bombs, but with the personal touch of the most evil, heinous, sadistic, torturous murder. The same things employed in Nazi Germany, the same things employed by communist Chinese regime, same things employed by communist North Korea, same things employed by Khmer Rouge in Cambodia back in the days of the killing fields, Pol Pot. Same things employed by the Viet Cong in Vietnam. Same unspeakably evil things against Muslims because, one, it was to destroy them, and two, It was to terrorize the rest into submission and acquiescence and cooperation and support. But we can believe that the Trump administration has it right and that it's Assad's regime, Assad's regime doing these terrible things, and that the rebels are the good guys, and so forth. And uh, we can believe that if we care to. Well, our fearless leader, Donald Trump, he has been paying great favors here the last day or two, praising communist China's communist regime and its leader, Xi Jinping, which is in stark contrast to what Trump was doing, the kinds of things Trump was saying about communist China as recently as a week ago, and certainly on the campaign trail. But whatever serves his purposes, right? I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, we will know. But we really can know now. In case you joined after the introduction, that is so you know what program this is. (laughs) In case you care to tune back in at a later date or to do the contrary. Well, dear Donald Trump stated that he has developed, amazingly enough, I mean, a week ago, communist China was very scary, dangerous. It was going to be extremely difficult meeting with communist Chinese president and delegation. Love it where they call themselves president now. 
Uh, because, of course, it's, you know, democratic, right? Uh, but after having initial meetings down in Florida at his complex, at Trump's complex there, he said that he has developed an outstanding relationship with the Chinese president. Now, isn't that fascinating? How long do you think is a reasonable amount of time to establish an outstanding relationship with someone, especially with someone whom you have badmouthed hitherto, <laughs> previously. How long do you think it would take you to establish an outstanding relationship with them? Well, the Donald who plays fast and loose and always over-promises and under-delivers, amazingly enough, managed to accomplish this feat overnight and stated that he had made, quote, tremendous progress, unquote, in their first face-to-face talks and stated that he believed, quote, lots of very potentially bad problems will be going away, end quote. And all of this as a result of this amazing charm offensive of President Trump. It reminds me of those charm offenses of President George W. Bush, who imagined that he could charm anybody and everybody. I mean, that was his strong suit, was his country boy charm. This from, of course, the Massachusetts prep school graduate, graduate of Yale University and Harvard Business School and member of the Skull and Bones Secret Society, preeminent secret society, but that he could charm them, he could woo them. I remember a statement that George W. made concerning his MBA, Masters of Business Administration from Harvard, that the most valuable thing about it, or the only valuable thing about it, but certainly the most valuable thing about it, was learning how to handle a boardroom. I can't remember exactly his words, but it was the matter of being able to command the boardroom. To be able to absolutely control and command all of the leadership. Just happens to be Donald's specialty, too. Not just on some so-called, some incredibly unreal reality program, like The Apprentice or The Apprentice 2 or Celebrity Apprentice or whatever, Apprentice. But this thing that he's just this master wheeler and dealer who always comes out on top, always is able to work his magic. Well... Unfortunately, for those who have such high, high hopes, did have when they supported him and voted for him and continue to have 
that Donald Trump will be this amazing president. Uh, and he's only too, too modest <laughs> in stating, you know, that he'll be the greatest president ever. Well, unfortunately, he's not a Christian, let alone a devoted Christian. He's not a Muslim, okay? He's not all manner of things that the former president was and is. And he certainly was far and away (laughs) the only possible electable candidate when he was elected. But to imagine that he has the right stuff is really remarkable. The communist Chinese regime, if dear old Donald knew the faintest thing about the substance, forget the style, but the substance of communist China, he would know that it is evil to the core. And dear old Xi Jinping, he didn't get to the top by being a nice guy, a good guy, a moderate, a reasonable man. Everything that that evil, murderous, monstrous, satanic regime does is with his blessing. And the idea that communist China is going to rein in North Korea is just ridiculous. It's using North Korea as its attack dog against the United States of America. Uh, There's various different terminology that's used that I prefer not to use, but it's using North Korea to probe the United States of America, to see how it will react, what it will do, among other things. And I certainly believe that when that time comes, whether it happens to be this year or whether it is unimaginably, you know, as far away as a couple decades from now, that the first attacks come, it won't be from communist China, it'll be from North Korea. It won't be from Russia, it'll be from Iran, it'll be, you know. And <laughs> the U.S. will be responding to these outliers and will be in a bad way because they won't see what's coming. We won't see what's coming. Russia, the Russian Federation, not the Russian people, but the Putin regime, and communist China, they are both very strongly, aggressively, on a military footing. They have not spent the kind of money that the United States of America spends on defense. They're spending theirs on offense, 
not defense, but they haven't spent the kind of money that this nation has. And they haven't needed to because they steal all of the state-of-the-art technology as soon as it's available. As soon as the plans are available, they take them all. They access them all with their massive hacking networks. So they don't have to develop any weaponry. They just steal it all. Maybe do a little fine-tuning, maybe do a little customizing, but they use all American developments in military technology. So their costs of production are vastly lower because they don't have any R&D function, any research and development function. So to compare their military readiness versus ours by their military budget is absolute madness. It is just beyond stupid and ignorant. It is, uh, it's deluded and it is intoxicated uh, to imagine that there is some sort of way to compare the two. It's preposterous, but we continue to entertain ourselves that dollars spent is an accurate way to determine military readiness. It's remarkable and preposterous. Well, we... are being given all kinds of tantalizing, titillating uh, little nuggets concerning the Trump administration, concerning who's coming and who's going. And personally, I'm, I have been and I am, I continue to be something less than pleased, impressed, thrilled, with the likes of Steve Bannon, who has been the chief strategist. Back when he was at Breitbart, he was the one responsible for promoting that absolutely, utterly, totally profane individual who is no longer there and who shall remain nameless until such time as I choose to name him. But, Bannon is the reason that that creature was there. Bannon is the reason that that creature was promoted and was given free reign and was made VIP there at Breitbart. And Bannon clearly is a, as far as I can see, a pretty crude individual, not exactly shocking. Yes, the halls of power in Washington, D.C. are full of vulgarity. And if Donald, the commander in Tweeter, if he decides to replace Bannon, I think I can live with that. But I am very disappointed that he is supposedly considering replacing his chief of staff, Reince 
Priebus, whom, as far as I'm concerned, he owes his election to. But Donald Trump, like his Republican predecessor, the W, number 43, George W., they both pride themselves on their loyalty, on prizing loyalty so highly. Their idea, though, of loyalty is loyalty to them personally, not to this nation, not to God. Heaven forbid that. Not to God, not to this nation, not to what this nation is supposed to be, but to them personally. And so there is never a place for dissent. There is never a place for somebody to have their ear to be in a very high position and to oppose them, to speak truth to them, or, you know, that old uh, saw about speaking truth to power, you know. There's no place for that because that's disloyalty. I mean, that, in addition to, that was one of George W.'s Achilles heels. There was no room for that, no place for that. There was all kinds of room for sycophants and for his appeasers and for those who would butter him up. And again, there are other terms for them for that. But the same is true with regard to Donald. And it is a terrible weakness. And if you try to delve into what it's about, oh my goodness, is it a matter of, is it a reflection of their insecurity or something like that? I don't know. I don't care. But it is a fact. It's an absolute fact that they do not have the character, the wisdom, the modesty, the humility to prize that not those who would actually be disloyal to them and stabbing them in their back, as George Herbert Walker Bush did to Ronald Reagan, but ones who would actually cause them to understand better what's going on, instead of, in the case of W, having Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, and so forth. Now, There's no room for truth. Now, with the wicked ones, with the evil ones, the ones that are definitely wicked and evil, as far as I am concerned, the likes of the previous president and the Donald's opponent, regardless what they say, they have no room (laughs) for opposition. Absolutely not. Furthest thing from it. But... It's irrelevant with them because of what they are. You know, it's a matter of resistance is futile. But with these who are supposedly, and I do say supposedly, the good guys, for them to be so vain and arrogant and conceited and self-worshipping, 
is a terrible, terrible, terrible weakness. This supreme self-confidence that they ooze is a fatal weakness. It enables them to get to the top in this life and to enjoy all the goodies, to get all the goodies, whether it's all the girls, all the babes from the time they are in high school on up, or in the case of uh, Bill Clinton, from the time they're in junior high school, and to get all of the riches and to matter, to manage to accumulate, to raise funds, raise money, raise financial backing from everybody and their brother to be the ultimate salesman, it's extremely vitally important and valuable. But when it comes to doing some good in this life, it is a crippling disability. They are disqualified from being able to do anything of the kind. That's the problem with not having good and godly leadership. Something you perhaps saw was this about Lindsay Lohan sporting a burkini. Uh, I, I just thought it was remarkable. She was in Thailand, and she was modeling, if you will, a burkini in an exclusive photo shoot in the Daily Mail. You know, this garb that Muslim women wear to uphold their Islamic modesty traditions. Oh, my. What's so ironic with Lindsay Lohan, whom as a child actress I loved in the the Parent Trap remake and other things, I thought she was terrific. But she is such a screwball. And what is she synonymous with? It's running around the hot spots in Los Angeles, Hollywood, New York City, in skimpy little dresses and pantyless. And, oh dear, the paparazzi taking advantage of this poor young woman, taking indiscreet photographs of her, entering vehicles and exiting vehicles, you know, stretch limos and so forth. Again, sans panties. And so for her and other, you know, nude displays, for her then to be modeling a burkini in Thailand is just, it's somewhere off the charts for nuts. Uh, But, oh my, uh, she is just quite something. Well, I was talking about crime and punishment on the last program. And I mentioned about Aaron Hernandez's current trial, double murder trial, and about this defense team that he has that I have no idea how it's how they're being paid for. I mean, he's got some he has some wealthy backers that are helping him out here, but so they brought in this doctor who, in my view, is a quack doctor, but he certainly has an agenda. And he was devoid of evidence. He was trying to persuade the jurors that Aaron Hernandez 
if he shot them, if he shot them, that it was self-defense, and that, in fact, that he didn't shoot them. So hopefully they would believe that Aaron Hernandez didn't shoot them because he was telling them that there had to be six shots fired. There is no remotest comparison between this and the JFK assassination, in case you're wondering about this matter of the how many shots fired. <laughs> very, 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 very different thing uh, as far as the East from the West. But trying to persuade them that six shots must have been fired, even though he had zero evidence of that, because then that would say that he couldn't have done it with a revolver that only held five cartridges. But he went on to try to persuade them that even if Aaron Hernandez fired upon these two who were cut down, that he did so in self-defense. And if they didn't buy that, well then, that at least one of these fellows that he murdered didn't experience any pain. It was the most bizarre thing, but he was saying with regard to the death throes that this fellow was witnessed to have experienced, that in fact, no, 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 that wasn't death agony, that he supposedly had passed on well before that. It was merely physical body contractions. It had nothing to do with experiencing pain. I mean, it's like, well, pick A, B, or C, okay? I want you to believe that he didn't do it, but if he did do it, he was doing it in defense. And if he wasn't doing it in defense, well, those that he murdered still didn't experience any pain. But uh, (laughs) it was nothing short of remarkable. Jane Alexander, you may not be familiar with her, but there's a a movie, oh, what is it called? <laughs> I'll have to share it with you next time that I uh, broadcast. But she said the following, quote, you kill and you go to jail, end quote. And <clears throat> unfortunately, because she was an amazing woman, who really did a great, great amount of good, great service to the families of victims of vicious, murderous crime here in the United States of America. She had this idea that jail time was the appropriate punishment for vicious, ruthless, brutal murderers. And a real pity, but there are good people out there that have those kinds of ideas. And they are so terribly wrong. No, when this nation refuses to execute monstrous murderers, again, it fails to avenge the taking of those lives, it fails to avenge the innocent blood, And it brings judgment on this whole nation. So it does a number of things, all of them evil, is that it emboldens 
the evil ones to commit anything and everything they care to. And if they are ever convicted, and if they do ever have any prison time after pleading down and what have you, they still can get away with committing murders in prison because they still will not be executed for them. And when they are released, when they are let go, or when they are accidentally released or accidentally let go, or when they escape, they can commit a great many more monstrous, vicious crimes. And then, after all of that, there will be judgment upon this nation which will fall upon the good as well as upon the evil. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.